Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. You're listening to I Married an Artist, conversations about curiosities, passions, and inspirations. Hi, I'm Luke Ferris. <laughs> gotcha. I'm Audrey Ferris. First off, thank you everybody for listening. It's been awesome to hear feedback on the show, people's thoughts, and I think it's really exciting to know that people are interested in our conversations. First off, I think just from a human standpoint, but more importantly, that people are interested in having conversations about art, creativity, and what inspires them. I also think we got a lot of good feedback on our first guest, Eliza Ferris, so shout out to her. Yeah, huge success. We'll see if some of her traditions continue as we have guests. Mm -hmm. So I think maybe the Third Wheelers Listener Club uh, might take off thanks to her. So let's dive in. What's inspiring you this week, Odd? I'm really inspired this week by a new show on Netflix. It's called Cheer. And... Cheers? Cheer. Oh, so no, not... C-H-E-E-R. Okay, so no S. No, it's a it's new a very show. very different show. It's a docu-series, and I'm sure a lot of people have heard of it. I think it's becoming pretty popular, but it's one season. It's like maybe eight episodes. They're all close to an hour long, and it's a series about competitive cheerleading, collegiate competitive cheerleading, which I don't know anything about. Um, but the story is really inspiring. The athletes are incredible. And um, it's just a wild sport. It is. I really actually, it was, this is a classic scenario of you started watching a show and I think I was doing dishes and, you know, you're like, oh, this is really great. You'll love this. It's about competitive cheer. And I was like, ah, I was, wrote it off. I got something else to do. I got to do something. And then, and then I think I was walking by doing chores and I, and I got in. sucked in. And it really is a great look. Really into, good storytelling. Into coaching of a sport that's not typically showcased i think you usually see in the more docu-series or documentary style you know the olympic sports or football or basketball in america it's interesting to see a sport that's maybe not on that level of notoriety as much but the most difficult sport in the world like it's crazy these kids are so hard working so i'm just inspired by the team and the show, um, mostly Jerry. So if anybody else is watching, I know you feel the same. I also think it's a really good look into coaching and how coaching, especially young people, can really make an influence on their lives. I'm sure a lot of you, either in sports or music or theater, you had coaches that impacted you. And I think it's a good showcase that sometimes coaches get a bad rap of being tough or having more of a harsh way they deal with kids that's not necessarily popular in today's culture um, whether that's being intense or mean or critical or yelling sometimes I think this is a good look into to to see behind the scenes of how a coach intentionally is helping change kids lives and help them grow as people but also be very very successful okay thanks this was my inspiration for the week so okay you're done I'm done okay that was yours as well because you stole it from me. No, I was talking about it with you. Hmm. Anything else you have to say about cheerleading? What? Those were literally all of the things that I was <laughs> going to say. And you okay. said for me. So what's your inspiration for the weekend? I, actually, I will I talk about you, it. I would ask you a question about cheerleading. If you were a competitive cheerleader, what a position would you be? I, I would never be a competitive cheerleader because be. I do not have any talents. If you if you had the talent, what would you like I to be? I would be... Um, the people I'm trying to remember what they call them, the teammates who are on the sidelines and didn't make the mat, the ones that cheer for the other teammates. Um, if I could dream of being a position, I think it would be cool to be a tumbler, but I don't, I can't even do a cartwheel. So that's out of it for me. I think the flyers, the girls who fly are insane. Amazing. I wish I was that brave, but I'm not. So I could never do that. And we actually went to school, and, and I, I, I actually lived in the same dorm as some competitive cheerleaders. So I got to learn a little bit more about the sport. And, like, they were 
incredible athletes, but I think we were at a game one time. Basketball game. And one of the flowers fell. And it like. She hit her head on the back. It was one of the most crazy things I've ever seen. Like, I've never been in a sporting event, and I've been to a lot of sporting events where I've, that was probably the most I've ever been concerned about an athlete on, oh, yeah. on the field. I mean, when are you going to be at like a D1 basketball game and it's that quiet? So quiet. It was I mean, very scary. A lot of people were crying. But I mean, when you watch this show, Cheer, you see these girls, like some of them are on their fifth, sixth concussion. And at one point, like four girls had gotten a concussion. And it's just, they're fearless though. And they like, it's all about the team and trusting each other and... I don't really know why they trust the guys who drop them, but they do. And I don't know. It was very cool. It is. So, Luke, what's inspiring you this week? I'm going to go off, off script. I think we had a plan. I had a plan of what it was inspiring I know, me this I week. I know what you're going to say. And Wait, can I say it? Yes. Is it the movie 1917? Yes, it is. We just saw it this afternoon a couple hours before recording. And, wow, what an immersive experience about a topic that many people in America definitely don't understand or don't know about because world war one, the films about world war one, it's really focused on a story of two soldiers on a mission. So it's, it's a very simple, they're sent, they have to go deliver a message. Yes. But it's a very simple story of a bigger, bigger, much wider war. But a lot of Americans don't know that much about world war one. There's not as much cinema or, storytelling that's been written about the war from a british perspective they take world war one or the great war at a much different tone and seriousness that we don't in america and so i think it's really important for people that maybe don't know much about world war one to see this movie because uh, it's shocking it's intense um, but i think it shows that that conflict in that war even though it was overshadowed in some ways by the patriotism and drama and heroism of world war ii not to take anything away from it um that world war one is an example of how leadership and how power can not only cause conflict but can cause detrimental destruction to communities to people and the great thing about this film is it doesn't shy away from how it's perceived but it also gives you a firsthand look of how terrible that war was. You know what I was thinking that's crazy is that I don't always love war movies because I don't love seeing like battle scenes. And this movie was pretty gory, but in retrospect, there was no battle scenes. Like the characters that were highlighted were not in combat at all, never once in the movie. So if you're like me and you're like, I don't really want to go sit and watch a war movie and like, it's not to say that there isn't gruesome imagery um and there's like hand-to-hand combat types of things but it's not um like full-blown battle scenes but my question to you is like what's inspiring you specifically from the movie like not parts or just like why do you say that it's your inspiration it inspires me to be thankful for sacrifices be thankful for men and women and people who have come before us to give us a life that we have now not to say that the world is perfect but in mo in the, in the movie definitely has its its moments where it showcases the brutalness of war and fear and terror but also shows bravery in little ways but also in big ways right so i think that's like a lot of war films it brings out kind of all the range of human emotion another point that really inspired me is the way the movie was filmed the cinematographer is Roger Deakins, who is a very famous British cinematographer. He's had 15 Oscar nominations, um, which I'm not sure including this one. He probably will win this year. The way the film was shot was very sequential, almost like it was one big tracking shot. And there's a lot of stuff online that t- kind of breaks it down. But the- It did kind of feel like it was like one go. It was like, here they go. Let's follow them. It did not. There was none of that like montage where it starts and it picks back up. Like you were with that guy the entire time. Like you didn't miss a moment of his journey. Yeah. There's really only three intentionally shown cuts in the film. And there was no, um, time forward, backward. The time frame remained. It was pretty much 20, a little over 24 hours. There wasn't, like a lot of war movies, there wasn't uh, 
the classic uh, war room or political war room, which th- those are important movies and there's a lot to talk about, but it's pretty much action all the way through. So that inspired me. I suggest everyone go see it because I think you need to learn more about World War One. My my great grandfather fought in World War One, so it's also inspiring to me to actually visually see it. I've read a lot about it and studied it, but to visually see it shown that way in a, such a raw and intense way was pretty powerful for me. It really was. There were some tears shed. There was. Um, but I did also cry during the Mulan trailer before. Yes, that's true. So it was just a day for me. But I would say waterproof mascara for everybody. Very important. Everybody. So to transition from 1917, where they were fighting in France, and it was focused on British soldiers, we traveled recently to two amazing cities, London and Paris. Yeah, and we wanted to share some highlights and tips from our trip for all of our friends who were following along with our photos and for anyone else like us who is cooped up this January daydreaming about escaping winter in Michigan. Uh, yeah, it's there's a lot of snow outside right now. Yeah, and I've just been... We went on the trip in early December and then we came back and it was Christmas and I haven't really like sat and really reminisced about it. And I've been doing that a lot lately just with those extra dark hours in the day. So we thought it would be fun to kind of recap what we did. Um, Luke and I, we spent five days in London and then we took the train to Paris for another five days. And we planned a lot for our trip because our philosophy on traveling is to have all the things on hand to do, but not to overpack each day. So in the morning, we'll narrow in on like a neighborhood or an area where we want to go. And then we'll have a list of options for like food, museums, cafes, or stores that we can pop into as we go, just depending on how we feel. Luke, what were some of your favorite things that we saw or did in London since we went to London first? London is a great city. I'd never been there before. It was awesome to be in a space, in a city that I had seen a lot in TV, film, photography. To actually be there was pretty cool. Did it feel the way that you thought it would? Did it look like what you thought it would look like? Yeah, it definitely did. And I loved being on the tube and traveling. What is the tube? That's the transportation. I love me some public transportation. The metro, the underground. Yeah, I love me some public transportation. And they have great public transportation. Yeah, it was easy. I think some of the big things that stand out for me and actually kind of piggybacking on the conversation about 1917 we saw a lot of great war memorials for world war one world war two we went to the churchill war rooms which was basically the headquarters of of britain during world war two and they have a museum and you can go in the spots where churchill and the chief of staff and all the folks who worked there and me being roughly six five and very broad shoulders it got a little tight down there because it's not it's not a museum like you would think it's these underground rooms where these people were hiding out bomb shelter style planning and winning the war from which is absolutely crazy and all these other staff were down there sometimes they wouldn't see daylight for weeks or months and no one ever knew where churchill and the rest of the group was they never discovered that location which was pretty incredible i i really enjoyed they actually have preserved all the maps from that yeah the map that room era, was very and cool it was so beautiful to see you can see all the little dots and everything ha- was left just as is yeah yeah they, the day they said like you can go home people just stood up and walked out and then the rooms were shut and no one went in there for a really long yeah, time until they, so basically they it was like a it. time capsule it's pretty amazing and you know so many important decisions were made but amazing work by people a lot of women that worked there and we were talking about how cool it is that it's or just fascinating is that everything that they did down there we can pretty much do now on our phones it was kind of sad it was like oh my gosh they were working so hard and like everything they was just manual didn't have the technology push pins and string it, it just was pretty amazing the to technology see that. was impressive though with like um the capability for churchill to give his speeches from down there to connect to bbc radio yeah i thought i was like i didn't really realize they could do that at that time it was the most advanced technology of the day so it was pretty fun to see that um overall just being around in london i'm a huge anglophile to begin with so just being kind of walking around the corners where you know i've seen so many scenes of whether James Bond going to MI6 or Luther 
on a case or Sherlock on a case. So it's just kind of being in that, that air of London. You really did recognize a lot of buildings. Like we'd yeah. be walking like, this is, do you remember that episode in Luther? This is the building. And that was very cool. So it was fun for me to be there. We also went to a soccer game at Tottenham, which is football my match. A football match, which is my favorite club. And so that's North that's in the suburbs. So we really get to have a fun kind of community. And it's very much like I equate it for folks who don't really follow soccer or, or football is it kind of reminds you of a college football game or like in the South where it's the communities all going to the game. There's generations of fathers and sons and grandsons that are there. And uh, it was a lot of fun in the team one. So that was great. Yeah. It was a good game. So what were good your match. favorite things about London? Um, I loved where we stayed. We stayed at a classic English bed and breakfast. Um, and it was great because you could get the day started early and have something to eat, which sounds simple, but in the scheme of things, when you're only somewhere for five days, it's nice to be able to like get up, have a guaranteed meal and not have to try to fight for a table. We did struggle with that a little bit, um, with restaurants, getting into places and finding space and eating, you know, waiting until we were starving and then being desperate. So that was really nice. And, um, I just love like the small classic things about traveling to different countries, like experiencing what the people who live there actually do see, eat and whatnot on a daily basis. So like having the traditional food, even though it's nothing crazy, but like, you know, we had beans every day for breakfast, beans on toast with eggs. Um, Crisps. Crisps. Well, not for breakfast. Oh, okay. I just loved that. And then the cool thing about a bed and breakfast is that I guess all of them are pretty small and then breakfast is only served for a certain window of time. So everybody who's staying there is eating together and you see the same people each day and you see the same staff each day. So like getting the opportunity to meet people, um, uh, other travelers, we met some other Americans, but also, um, you know, people from England that are in London visiting or people who live in London. Um, it was just a good way to get recommendations and just learn more and, what's the point of traveling if not to meet people too. So I loved that. I loved where we stayed. Um, I also loved all of the parks throughout the city. Beautiful parks. Yeah. I, I didn't really, I've been to London before, but didn't experience the parks in the same way that you and I did, where we did a lot of walking through them. Um, I loved how big they are and that they're not overly manicured. They're naturally landscaped. So it just felt moody and it's just beautiful and you can spend as much time or as little time as you want there. It's a good way to escape like the busyness of a international city like London, which is kind of overwhelming for me. I'm not really like a city person. I love visiting cities. I don't think I could live in a big city. And after being somewhere for a couple of days, it's like I need to see a, you know, a landscape. I can't look and see so much, so many cars and so many people. So if you're like that, or you just want to some downtime and you're traveling there, I'd recommend like doing an hour. You could do multiple hours walking through some of those big parks. Um, and I love seeing like the quintessential English, English folk in their pea coats with their scraggly Yorkie or like, <laughs> I don't know what kind of, they're all these like smaller mixed breed dogs. And it's just like exactly what you've seen in every movie. I know. I was hoping we'd have a 101 Dalmatians run in. I feel like we did. I mean, <laughs> that's there was a lot of like. dogs. Yeah. So I loved the parks and then the museums were definitely my favorite part. Um, the Tate Modern is home to modern contemporary art from around the world. They had some rotating exhibitions that we really liked. We didn't look ahead really to see what was on display. We knew we would want to go. We knew we go. wanted to go there. Yeah. yeah. So, but we, you know, you just, you may be drawn to something and enjoy it other times you might just experience it and move on but we genuinely loved what they were displaying and then um I especially loved going there because there were some pieces that I had seen for the first time when I was in London five years ago and I was eager to see them again so I didn't really tell Luke that but we were moving slowly through the museum and then I started kind of like rushing through the rooms because I was was feeling like panicked that these paintings that I had been waiting all day to see weren't there anymore um, and they were. So they have a huge room of Gerard Richter abstract paintings, her squeegee paintings, as well as Helen Frankenthaler pieces. And she's one of my favorite artists. So seeing all those is just like 
it's a life highlight for me. Yeah, you were so giddy and excited to get there. So I think also relieved that we found them. I was very nervous they were I mean, gone. It's a big, big museum. I mean, it's one of the biggest museums in London. So it was amazing to finally get to see those yeah, pieces. Yeah, and you, you kind of think you know where something is. I, I, I don't know. I don't know how my brain could remember a museum, but I found them. So that was great. And then I also love that museum because they have a cafe on the top floor. Yeah. We went up there and you got really nice views of the city. And you can take pictures if you want to and good coffee. Yeah. It's it's definitely a city hack. A lot of times museums have cafes on the roof and it's a great way to see the top, see the city and also experience the museum. And in this case, it was free. Mm -hmm. You know, we just got a coffee. So I can't believe it's free. Yeah. It's so nice. And it's right on the river. And so you can walk. There's multiple walking bridges, which... London is such an easy town to get around. You you can't really walk everywhere. I mean, you could if you had a ton of time on your hands. But with using the tube, the public transportation, and then walking, I felt like we got around great and it's beautiful. It is. We also saw Phantom of the Opera at Her Majesty's Theater on the West End. Yeah. And that was your first time seeing it as right. well. So that was kind of a... Well, that was your first time seeing it on stage. Yes, on stage. So I had listened to it through the walls of my sister's uh, bedroom mm. for many years, but mm-hmm. to really see it live performed by... It's a little different. Performed by professionals uh, is pretty spectacular. Though we are a bit concerned about um, the creepiness. Yeah. I don't know if it's aged well. Maybe we need to do we a We were worried review. about the young girl. And yeah, the, Christine. Yeah. She needed help. Yeah, she did. She, yeah, it was little. To quote my mother, just walk out of the theater. Yeah, why wouldn't she leave? Just walk out. She was in love with him. I don't, she hated him, but I think she loved him. A lot of Stockholm Syndrome, we think. That's kind of what it is. Yeah. Maybe we need to do a review on Phantom of the Opera with an expert. We could. We could. I'd rather not, but it was amazing. The, The performances were really cool and just like a fun, classic London experience. So then we took the train to Paris, to Paris. Uh, I'm really bummed I slept through the channel. I totally missed it. I... There's not much to see. So <sighs> the channel is the underground train. So it goes under the channel of water between Paris. I slept right through and, it. I didn't even get to UK, see it. Or, yeah, the UK and France. Yes. Not a big deal. It's completely black because you're in a tunnel, so you can't mm, see. Okay. But it is crazy because you know you're underwater. What was your favorite part of Paris? What did you enjoy? That was your also your second time being there. It was my first time. Well, you go first. All right. I'll go first. Okay. To me, one of the biggest parts of Paris that I have been telling people about it is it lives up to the hype and the romantic aspirations and visualization that I've always had. I've always had an urge to go to Paris to experience it. There was no letdown. It wasn't like you got there and thought, what a hoax. It no. was as beautiful as you expected. And for being the number one tourist destination in the you, world. I've heard you say that a couple of times. Like, where are you getting that from? It's, uh, it's a known fact. Fact check. You can fact check me, but I it don't is, want to, it is but the number one visited city. It's not that I don't believe you. I just am curious. It's the number one visited city in the world. And to be the number one visited city of the world, one of the most popular destinations for people to travel from all over the globe, it still maintains its identity, its culture, and that romanticism. And maybe I fell into it. Maybe I know there's Paris is bigger than just uh, what we saw. But to actually just walk around, to see the city as a living, breathing piece of art was quite extraordinary and I don't it's hard for me still to really compartmentalize it and understand it I've never been I love cities I love being in cities and no other city has captivated me visually and just the aroma of the city when we talked about that we were trying to figure it out like is it because all of the architecture in that the main area that we were in or the areas that we were in was so consistent like we really didn't see anything modern you saw those clay chimneys and the tan i don't even know what the siding is on the buildings like it's what you see in the pictures and it's consistently everywhere it's like you know where you are you never look up and think 
I could be in New York City. Like in London, there's a couple corners you would round and we thought, this feels like New York. Or actually, we said a lot, this feels like Boston. But in Paris, there's it's without a doubt, you're like, I'm in Paris. You're in Paris. And I think it's the uh, it's the, all of that. And I think there is the way the city is structured, being along the river, traditional European city along the river, the bridges, and just how it's structured, the architecture, and then the people, the people. and the food. And the, it, it all comes together. Everyone as this, was bike, biking and on their mopeds and... I think the attitude and it just all comes together as this beautiful nice intoxicating people. place that I don't I'm I get why people move there I get why celebrities move there I get why the Johnny Depp's we were trying, live there. We were trying to figure out how to move there and it it doesn't seem it doesn't, possible. The numbers haven't added up so maybe no. folks you can help us uh figure out how to do that. Okay folks. So what about you? Okay, well again, um that was sort of what I was going to say just walking around and being there um the fact that you can just pop in places, every single corner has a cafe, and none of them are necessarily going to be bad. We specifically went to a couple places that we knew were going to be great. The one time we kind of bumped in somewhere, the food wasn't amazing, but the experience of just being in the cafe, you, you know, it was nice. Um, everything is beautiful, tastes amazing, the people were lovely. We had We met a lot of Parisians that were so friendly, and we got to talked to and you know told us things about the city and just seems like a really cool place to live um the meals were unforgettable i definitely had the best quiche of my life at a cafe and the quiche what's that top quiche top quiche um there's a museum that we went to uh, Musée jacquemar andre that was good and they had a cafe and it, we were the youngest people there by 30 years when we were with the the weekday lunch crowd we went for it and had really probably one of our best meals um i had french onion soup at the cafe uh Roussillon, and a cheese tart and crepes at cafe med which is near notre dame some of the best food in my life but definitely has encouraged me to since give up dairy because it's something i can't really eat high levels of dairy and being in paris unfortunately i was pretty sick while we were there but you know what i wouldn't i wouldn't change anything it was worth it um again the museums were a big highlight for me i think we both absolutely loved the musée de lingerie sounds good to me I don't know. um so that was alongside the gardens by the louvre um, I had never been there before and they had just the coolest exhibit set up. It's been there since like the early 1900s of these Monet lilies. And we know that people think they know what they look like. And I thought you thought we knew what they looked like. And it, it was such an experience, like truly something where you say you walk in a room and you, you have to remind yourself to breathe. Like the, probably one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. Absolutely. And I'm, I've probably kind of been, I've told people this, I've kind of a, I never really got Monet. I was, I thought he was always overrated. And then I stepped into that venue. It was the perfect balance of creating a space in the artwork, working together to create an experience so that pretty. mesmerizes you. And I think one thing that we realized on this trip and we've, when we've been traveling in today's modern culture, a lot of times when you, you see famous paintings or things, people just have their phones up and they're trying to get a photo and then they move on. Or they want someone to take a picture of them in front of it, which is very annoying because you can't see because people are just waiting in a line to stand in front of something. And they're not even looking it, at it. It's very frustrating and I, I cannot stand it. I don't mind if you take a photo, but like really try to enjoy and soak up what you're seeing and try to I tried to take pictures it. in there and they really didn't even turn out because... It didn't do it justice. And I think that's why the lilies were so amazing because everyone there pretty much was like, okay, we can't capture this. No one was trying to take pictures. You cannot capture it. You have to experience it in person. Yeah. So I loved that. Um, I think we both really liked the Rodin Museum. Fabulous. Which, which is, it's a indoor and outdoor, so they have gardens there. And some of the sculptures are in the gardens. Uh, most of the work is inside. Um, I don't know what to say besides... Everybody should go see it. <laughs> I know. It's interesting. A lot of people would recognize The Thinker. That's probably his most famous or The Kiss. But to see 
main, mainly just sculpture. I mean, Almost that's, like the work in progress, too, because yeah. they had like his studies and, you know, different things that might not be perfect, which was definitely something that he as an artist was a promoter of the concept of imperfection and the way they did the museum, I think, really honors his artistic beliefs. They also had, um, while we were there, we didn't know they were going to have a Barbara Hepworth exhibition on loan from the Tate, um, which was a beautiful contrast to the Rodin because she was a contemporary abstract sculpture and Rodin is remembered as like the original influencer of modern sculpting, but still to us look very traditional, but way back in, you know, the late 19th century, early 20th century, he was like paving the way. Um, so it's cool to see, you know, without intentionality, maybe even just the hand of one artist onto another over the course of decades. Yeah. And it was just a great museum. Like for all you museum heads out there, just organized the way of set up the quiet, quietness, the respect, beautiful interaction of the indoor space and then the the outdoor nature space in the garden. Really good if you're traveling to London, Paris in late fall, early winter, because we did have colder weather than we expected. And it's nice to be able to have something where you can spend some time inside that doesn't require having to like continuously buy something. So museum, like depending on what you want to do, if you're traveling to those cities, if you love museums, I would say definitely go for it any time of the year because you've got the opportunity to get inside and warm up for a couple hours and then it makes those walks, which you must take Yes, worthwhile in Paris. There's definitely just walking. The walking along the river, it just is so marvelous. Smoking a cigarette while you're walking along the river, even better. I think my other favorite thing was um, the views and just like people watching and city watching from the Arc de Triomphe, uh, which is, I don't know, not in the center of the city, but the way that the streets are mapped out, it, the Arc is a structure that you can climb to the top and then the streets kind of go out circularly from there so you can look in every direction. And you can see the Eiffel Tower. And we went up there and watched the sunset and watched all the cars go around the arc um, in a circle, kind of like a huge roundabout. And they don't have lanes there. So, like, we're cheering for the motorcycles and the mopeds just trying to get across. Just a free-for-all. Yeah. So, I loved that. Um, I did do a poll on Instagram because I got some people asking questions while we were on the trip so we thought it would be kind of fun to see if anyone wanted us to answer questions um on the podcast and i got a few a few inquiries so from the trip in general um we got a question how did you go about planning your trip it feels overwhelming and luke do you want to answer that yeah i think that's a great question i there's a lot of people that look at travel I i think differently than and how they should. I don't want to tell people what they do, but traveling in a vacation is different things. Travel, there is risk involved. You're in a new space. It's an adventure. You have to plan. It's an adventure. There's going to be times that are going to be stressful. It's not a go to the beach and have you know your drinks served to you. Planning is key. Now, there's two ways to do this. You can work through a travel agency or do a tour, and it's taken all care of, and that's awesome. You don't have to worry about it. You just show up. You follow their itinerary. That's great. If you want the freedom to do what you want to do, spontaneity, the spontaneity, but have and the fear, the thrill, the fear and the thrill, <laughs> um, planning ahead of time is key. Uh, what I like to do, we're both fans of Rick Steves, which if you haven't heard of Rick Steves, he's the original travel influencer, very old school. Uh, he has he had a show on the Travel Channel, and he's he has good. books. Listen, he's but good. Let me tell you. He is good. He's he, never been wrong. He's really never been wrong. He's great to start a foundation. So what I tell people is, buy, if you're going to a city or area, buy the Rick Steves book. That's your foundation. It has hotel recommendations, it has and food pick, recommendations, pick and pricing. That's your foundation. Then I would layer that on top of that would be do internet research. Yeah, what are your interests? Because maybe Rick doesn't do all the things that exactly. you want to do. Exactly. So if you're interested in sports or you're interested in museums or if you're interested in fashion or shopping do research on top of that if you're interested in history look at the things that you're interested in i think the big thing that i've learned and you have learned from these trips is you're never going to be able to do it all no so focus on the things that you're important kind of like or we'd say like 
if there's one site we want to see, let's try to do one site a day. Yes. So that your days aren't just like zooming from site to site and you're not experiencing the place that you're in. So we kind of pick a site, like I said earlier, which would be in a certain area. And then we know, okay, if we're going to be in this neighborhood seeing this site, then while we're here, let's figure out a couple options that depending on what we feel like we can do to spend the rest of the day. And then you're kind of just wandering around. But if you feel like, oh, I could really use a coffee, you do already know there's a cafe around the corner that's supposed to be great and they speak English there. It's considering that Luke and I, or that you and I don't speak French. It wasn't a problem, but we definitely did gravitate towards places we knew were friendly to English speakers. Um, I mean, everyone there speaks French as the first language, no matter what. But a lot of the times, if they know you don't speak it, they'd be happy to speak English with you. My key was just looked like a really big, dumb, silly, no. goofy guy. And no. then... They're so sad and they, you look so, you like a big puppy dog. Then they come and help you. No, I, any, everyone would always say hello in French, act as if you were from there. And then when you spoke in English, they'd be really respectful and understand and switch languages. But I actually thought that was really nice. It never felt condescending like someone would come up to you and say kind of like, oh, Americans this way. It was very much you were treated um, as if you belonged there. Uh, I would say too... It is overwhelming and there's a lot of planning. Um, but for us, that involves like a lot of time spent saving money. You know, we've been preparing for this trip for a couple of years. So sometimes saving up for a trip isn't the most fun. But if you're, you know, dueling that with planning, you know, it's like, oh, we have to save for two years. That's kind of crazy. Well, we have two years to like plan the trip and that can make it a little bit more fun i don't it know it can become a hobby that's yeah, how it was i view kind it. of it's a hobby, hobby for me. a while i love maps about, i like learning yeah. i like i like picking things and not that you have things. to do i know people will go there because they see a cheap plane ticket a week in advance or a month in advance and i think you can still have a great time and i don't it, think you can really go wrong you can't i think it's just knowing who you are and yeah if you're if you're going as a couple knowing how you guys deal with stress and fun things as a couple yeah um so another question it's not a question. It was just someone submitted the word fashion. So we did. I noticed this a lot. I love going to other countries, other cities. We live in the Midwest, technically kind of a small, small town, small area. We don't have a lot of shopping opportunities. So I love going other places and just seeing. They also say, you know, like Europe is three years ahead of the United States oh, generally yeah, in totally. fashion. So we were trying to like scoop up everything we were seeing and become trendsetters. Um, That's what people say about me. But you did. You had like a big, you noticed something about the guys in London. Yeah, London liked. definitely. The Especially the business guys. They had always had the blue kind of overcoat. Navy blue. Navy blue rain jackets. That, but I liked them because they weren't like... They weren't like Wall Street 80s, 90s. It kind of looked like a top style. coat. It was like a top coat. It, very it was fitted. Very fitted. But Everyone's it, very thin. But yeah, but it's not It's not like down to your knees. Like mm -hmm. that's like how I equate like, you know, New York City Wall Street guys are wearing those that are like no. down to their knees. I love, I love that. Yeah, that was a good look. I have never seen one of those before. I don't know where we can buy one. But um, I feel like there were things like that that we saw multiple people wearing. But overwhelmingly, it just seemed as though people were not conforming to a certain style or a trend. And there was just so many different types of people and such a like strong sense of individualism. Like that was so inspiring to me, having gone to like a big university where everyone was wearing a North Face rain jacket and Sorrel winter boots. And there were like uniforms kind of. And even in where we live in Grand Rapids, sometimes it seems like there's a uniform that you could wear that you know, like this looks good. Everybody wears this kind of outfit. Um, but to see people just expanding on that and wearing things like, I've never seen anything like that before, but it looks really cool. It's really inspiring to me. Um, I think with another thing that stood out to me from a male fashion standpoint, um, it's always good to dress up and have good quality. everyone looked very nice like it's always it's i, I don't think there's any there, you're not like out of fashion or not cool if you're wearing like almost like business attire or like you're wearing a, a th three layers well, you know what they say you can never be overdressed only yeah. under exactly um okay so which city did you like the best i've been telling people when they ask me that question I think I could live in London, live and work in London, but Paris from a 
experience as a tourist and and being in a city uh, it's one that i want to go back to london is is some i would love to be living in that culture Mm -hmm. as a city paris i will go back again again as a tourist because it i want to live in paris okay okay we'll talk we'll meet in the middle meet in the channel okay um best shoes to wear while traveling so audrey do you want to tell a story about uh, your shoe challenges failure yes so, you know, some of us really, really don't want to look like a tourist. And the thing is, you are a tourist. You are. It's hard to and hide. And the thing is, no matter what you wear, they know. You cannot fool them. Especially when your hu- husband is 6'4 and has a camera bag around his neck. <laughs> yeah, you are a dead giveaway. Um, so I really attempted to do, like, leather boots um, for the trip, which are really comfortable. I wear them all the time. Uh, the problem is that they don't actually have like any support in them and you're walking on cobblestones or, you know, cement, or even when you're in a museum, you're walking on cement. So there was no relief. It wasn't a blister issue or anything. It's just that, you, you know, we walked for eight plus hours a day. It was, that was a long we day We were on too. our feet. Well, every day really, we were yeah. on our feet the whole day. That's just the things that, the things we like to do involve being on your feet. So, um, just no like comfort in the shoe not that they weren't supportive and whatever there just wasn't comfort so my feet were just so sore um that by like a few days into the trip i had to do an emergency pit stop at the first like shoe store that we could find which was a vans store in piccadilly circus just absolute madness something about going into a foot locker in Times square just don't do it um but we knew we'd find something there so that's why we went and then actually, like, this is the stuff I love. Like, we met a guy who was the salesperson who was helping me and, like, so friendly. He was from Greece. He lived in Germany for a couple of years, moved to London. It just, you know, you don't have those experiences every day. So I don't regret it. Um, and then once I had the tennis shoes on, I was flying. Let me tell you, folks. So we were on a time crunch, by the way. This whole thing was on a time crunch. We finished dinner, and we had tickets to Family Opera, like we said, at Her, Her Majesty's Royal Theater. So we were kind of debating it. I was like, I don't think I can make it. Like, I don't physically think I can walk there. And and, and the vans is right there. And I was like, doesn't matter. Yes. Let's do it now. Let's go. You got them. And you were flying. Crowd weaving is a lot more fun when you have tennis shoes on. I I felt like I was in a John Wick movie or an action movie, like following you through the crowd. And you were just like bouncing up and down. And I, it was fun. And I say I'm a pretty good crowd walker for being my size. Like I, I feel like I'm fast. I'm, I can I'm really fast. slip through the gaps. You were slipping through the gaps. I mean, it was like we were... I and mean, this is like a shoulder-to-shoulder sidewalk. I mean, it was it's Saturday like, night. It's like being in Times Square. It, I felt like we could have been in a romantic movie. If I was chasing you for some sort of romantic gesture, it would have been really good. Or right. if we were in an action movie. But you were fine. We made it. Uh, we were both pretty sweaty. sweaty. Made it. You got in the seats. I got some Prosecco. And pretty much right on time. It was crazy. It was so epic. So we just want to thank our sponsor, Vans. Vans, yes, for um, watching the show. Just kidding. But I, I love those shoes. Definitely overpaid for them. But yeah. Desperate times. Anyways, if you're going to walk, make sure you have comfy shoes. Listen, just wear the tennis shoes. Just wear those big white New Balances. They're back. The dad sneakers is what they call them. Never went away. Okay. We kind of talked about some favorite restaurants, best food experiences. You have one food experience that you really were cherishing which yes. made me want to throw up do you want to talk i went about to it? st john's which is a restaurant in london um near the old market or it's still a running uh, meat market this i actually learned about this on anthony bourdain's old show but it's really the restaurant's whole idea is to kind of historically the market and and how it connects with meat and that culture of of the guys that were the butchers that were working they would after their shift, which was like two a.m. to eight a.m. That was their shift. After the meat market, they'd go. They'd have a sandwich. They'd have a pint. Afterwards, I'm just telling me to keep it going. This is a ten minute song, but anyways, I had a bone marrow salad where you actually scraped out the bone marrow and you put oh, it I on a piece listen. of toast with arugula and salt, and it so was they brought, delicious. They brought three bones. That literally have a special knife that you can scoop out the marrow from inside the bone, like a dog bone. And it looked like snot. 
It was one of the most gross things I've ever seen. Um, it was a very cool place that we were at. Unfortunately, I did not enjoy the experience. But the food is amazing. It was one of the most unique and savory. It's a, and tender. English and food is not really known foods. for being decadent, beautiful, <laughs> anything like that. And this, true to it, it was a, that's a classic, like old school thing, right? Yes. Okay. Glad you liked that. Most worth it tourist attraction and best part or best underrated activity. So let's do the first one. Most worth it tourist attraction. What's worth doing that's like hyped up? I think the Arc de Triumph going to see that. Uh, I we didn't we went to the Eiffel Tower, we didn't climb it, but the Arc de Triumph for being such a iconic symbol and paying the extra cash to be able to walk up the stairs and worth see, it. Totally worth it. I also say I don't know if uh, the Churchill War Rooms is like a super big tourist t- attraction, but to me it is, and it was 100% worth it. To see I would that. have done the London Eye if it had been open when we were there. I know that's a huge tourist attraction, and I don't know how much it costs, but um, I I think that would be cool to do. I would also say that um, we did a dinner cruise down the river in Paris, um, so it was nighttime. And they served us like a four course meal and you're on a boat, um, a covered, like you're in heat and everything. And, uh, seeing the city by night, that was definitely worth it. I know it's a little bit cheesy. The food was pretty good. Um, but really it's more just the opportunity to like put your feet up, sit back and seeing things at night was so cool because we could see like the inside of different river boats and the inside of different buildings since they were lit up from inside. Because during the day, you can't really see that. Um, I didn't know that a lot of those boats along the river are houseboats, and the interiors are insane. And it that was really cool. I, I think that would be my next visit to Paris would be either to if get an Airbnb on one of the river That'd be boats. That would so cool. I mean, that would be incredible. I, I Whoever's doing that and is retired and living on a boat in Paris – they're doing it right. Yeah. I'd say also in London that, um, I don't know if this is really a tourist attraction, but the British Museum is worth going to. It's also free. Um, it has things like the Rosetta Stone and pieces of the Parthenon there, which it's busy and it's like, it's a huge museum. Um, you know, you don't have to do the whole thing, but I think it's worth going to, especially because it's free. Why not just pop in and you can see some pretty incredible especially things. Especially if you love... Uh, artifacts and, yeah very and, old old stuff yeah <laughs> ancient just think about like a british safari hat guy digging up a mummy if you yeah. like that kind of stuff definitely I, i'd also say you should definitely see see a show absolutely absolutely there's i mean there's so many things every single night of the week um it's a perfect thing to do while you're traveling because you, like you really do get tired by the end of the day and going out at night at least for us is not like at the priority because we like to get up early in the morning and do things and get going. Um, but seeing a show, good thing to do in the evening. So the second question was underrated thing or, or thing. The second question was what was the best or the best part or best underrated activity? I have one, uh, and I don't know if this works because, uh, you were technically weren't there with me. So I went for a run from our Airbnb, our, our bed and breakfast one morning and I ran and we stayed in Kensington near Chelsea. So I ran basically a straight shot down the Fulham road to the Thames. I passed by, I'm a huge soccer fan. So I passed by where Chelsea plays Stanford bridge. I took a selfie with Christian Pulisic poster. And then I went to Bishop's park. It just was a beautiful park. I was there really early in the morning and, the mist was kind of setting over the river and there was no one in there. And it's a really great park. They have the Fulham Palace there, beautiful garden. And then Craven Cottage, which is a very historic football ground in English football history, is right there next to the park and the river and these beautiful little homes. And it's just a nice, quaint little park that's far away from the action of central London. And I just love that. Sorry you weren't there. I was getting some beauty sleep. Yes. I don't know how you got up at, what, like, 5 in the morning to do that. It was hard to wake up in the morning. morning. 
I'm I'm glad that we got to do this together. I think tra- traveling with a friend or someone that you really love is a great, it's a wonderful experience. It's a great experience. It's not perfect. Um, but that's why it's that's why I love it because it's not perfect. And a lot of times, the, the goofy, quirky things that happen are the most memorable things. Right, or the things that are really frustrating. There's a, definitely a a motivation of we're we're on borrowed time here. We only have so much time. Like maybe some of the daily nuances, like things that could be really frustrating, are easier to let go because it's like we're in Paris. Who cares? Um, just being able to spend time together and experience a new place. And I think feeling so small, but like having somebody to be with is a really cool thing to feel. Mm-hmm. I And I totally agree. And I would say to those listeners, travel. And whether it doesn't have to be international, so it doesn't have to be Paris. Get out, travel with someone that you care about, that you love. Experiencing new places, new cultures is so good to do. It's so healthy for you. I'm going to end with this story that really kind of culminates everything I have about our trip, but specifically Paris. So Audrey and I started dating when we were freshmen in college. The first official, sort of official date that we had, I invited her over to my dorm room to watch the movie Midnight in Paris had recently come out. It's about a movie in, it's set in Paris. It's very romantic. It's well, a, <laughs> yeah. I mean, the movie's very romantic. No, not really. Is it? I think it's romantic. Okay, I mean, it's not. And anyways, we were in my dorm room, and I expected my roommates to be there, but they weren't. It was very cute. Everyone left. My dorm room used to be kind of like the hangout spot. Everyone left. They actually gave us, uh, they got from the cafeteria brownie and slid it under the door, and we watched this movie, and I was very, very excited to be on a date with this beautiful woman, and then... Fast forward many years later, I was walking along the river in Paris with this beautiful woman that I had that first date with. Cute. <laughs> no, it does feel full circle. I mean, that's a movie that we always loved. Dreaming of going to Paris. You know, everybody dreams of it and going with somebody that you love is extra special. But also, the first time I went was with my mom and dad. And it was magical then too. So it's not only for couples, but... um. A beautiful place in the world. London, we love you. Um, but Paris definitely has my heart. Wow. I think we should end it with that. But, um, tsh. see you around the apartment. See you there. Uh, oh, God.